now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Whole Home Show. I'm Tony Joe. I'm your host here every week, helping bring you tips, educations, and updates on anything relating to your home. Whether you are actually in the real estate market, buying or selling, or just having a look, or if you are thinking of decorating or improvement ideas for your place, this is a great spot for you to be at this time. Our show comes to you every week with the support of our show partners. Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Center's Modern Mortgage Group. J.P. Sellas, insurance advisor at Westland Insurance. The Sitka Law Group for your real estate, wills and estates, corporate and personal injury needs. And Silhouette Home Inspections with Pierre Beauvais. If you need help or direction in your real estate transaction, give any of the whole home, show, whole home Show team members a call. They would love to hear from you. It's always a pleasure being here and being listened to every week by you, our loyal CFAX listeners. I've been selling real estate here in Greater Victoria since 1991. I've handled hundreds, thousands of transactions in our fair city. Proud to be ranked as a top producing REMAX agent in Canada. And I'd be pleased to help you as well, too. You can find my contact information and the rest of the whole Home Show team members by visiting cfax1070.com. Look under shows. There you'll find us, the whole Home Show, with me, Tony Joe. Or, of course, you can always just Google. Google Tony Joe, Tony Joe Real Estate, uh, or the whole Home Show, CFAX. You'll find all of our contact information there. This week, we're having a conversation about real estate in a different marketplace. Now, I've brought you to other places on the island, other places in the country, uh, even to other locations in the States. But this time, I'm bringing you as far as we've ever been together. I'm having a conversation today in Australia, Melbourne, Australia, to be specific, with Rick Rushton. Rick is a veteran, a seasoned expert in the realm of real estate, has been for over 30 years. We're going to be talking about what goes on in Australia, specifically having to do with the auction process, because of course, that is something that's been talked about a lot recently, especially during this election cycle, where it's been talked about perhaps abolishing this whole blind bidding activity that seems to be happening a lot nowadays. We've been talking about a lot on this program here. Of course, they do things very differently in Australia, because they do auctions front yard auctions and we're going to learn more about that along with what else is happening in australia again with rick rushton we always start our program with a conversation about what's going on out there we also hear from a lot of our listeners their stories or things that they're experiencing we'd love to hear from you as well too if you've got a story to tell us just uh send us a message Tony at primeteam.ca, go online, uh, Google us, or again, visit the cfax1070.com website, uh, send a message through. We'd be happy to uh, hear from you, have a conversation, maybe talk about what it is you're dealing with in your real estate world right now. What I do want to bring up, and of course it's topical because we're talking about it today and we're talking yet again about this auction process. One of these days, we'll have something else to talk about, I'm sure. But what I want to bring up, ladies and gentlemen, is basically the rules of engagement, the rules of engagement. It is a very complicated process and it's terrible when you're a buyer. When you're a buyer, uh, it would be nice if you found the property that you liked and you simply made an offer, even the price that the seller wants. I mean, how often does that happen? But if you make that offer, it'd be nice if you were able to get the house. But the problem now, of course, is you don't know if you will. 
because so often it happens where there's more than one other party that wants the same property that you do and bang, you're into a multiple offer situation, a bidding war situation. Now, there's a couple of things I want to bring up with you today. Um, had someone bring up a while ago, well, you know, I was the first offer in, I should have a chance. Well, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way, especially if the seller is holding off offers at a future date, which is called, of course, a delayed offer process, right? If a seller says they don't want to look at offers until, you know, next Tuesday, then they will not even consider your offer till then. Of course, the reason why they do that is they want to have the opportunity to have three or four or 10 or 20 other parties to increase their uh, results in a sale. Now, it's great for a seller, not so great for a buyer. And again, just because you were there first, pole position is not an advantage in this realm of real estate. Now, we are bumping into situations where sellers are considering what we call bully offers. And I've brought this up again, even recently here in this program. A bully offer is a preemptive offer. It's one that a buyer submits before that future deadline, you know, whatever it is, that Tuesday at four o'clock or, or whatever. This is a buyer's way of saying, hey, listen, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to give you this offer right now. A couple things to know, folks. Number one, a lot of times sellers give instruction to the agent, the, the listing agent, the selling agent, the fact that they will not consider bully offers. It's in writing. That's a written instruction from a seller. And if that is the case, they're not going to look. It doesn't matter how great your offer is. It doesn't matter about the fact that you sent one in. If instruction exists, then there is no bully offer. Now, it may happen where the agent like myself says to the listing agent, uh, hey, would your seller consider a bully offer? Because I noticed that there is no instruction posted. And the other agent might say, I think they would. I'll ask, but I'm pretty sure it's going to have to be a good one. That's common dialogue. We hear this on a regular basis. Um, now, that means that if the seller is willing to look at your offer, it's still got to be a good one, right? Just because you're first, like I said, doesn't mean that you are guaranteed a position. The only way that a seller would consider looking at offers before their predetermined date is if your offer is so well out and beyond what they ever expected that they're willing to stop the process, they're willing to stop showings, they're willing to commit to you as opposed to the 20, 10, 20, 40 showings they have lined up for the next few days because it's a risk mitigation situation here, right? They need to balance between, does, is it better to wait until Tuesday or is this offer in hand a good one? So um, if you are that bully offer, ladies and gentlemen, it cannot be subject to sale of a home. It cannot be subject to, uh, you know, my brother looking at it or me coming over from Vancouver and having a look. And it most definitely has to be a sweet price, you know, whatever that price range is. Because a normal offer, you know, subject to the sale of my home, um, below list price, of course the seller is going to say, no, I'll wait. Of course I'll wait. I'll wait till Tuesday. You know, we already have a number of agents that have said that they're interested in the, in the property. Now, if the seller does agree, with this whole bully offer situation, that doesn't mean they're only dealing with you. That does not mean they're only dealing with you. You see, the agent, the listing agent still has their job to do. And what they're going to do is they're going to contact all the people that have showed the house so far. And they're going to say, hey, we have a preemptive offer coming in. 
uh, and my seller's going to look at it today at seven o'clock. And that gives the other agents the opportunity to pile in and jump on as well. So again, just because you're there first doesn't mean that you have that sort of advantage because the listing agent still has a job to do. You know, uh, a little while ago, I had an agent that said to me, oh, I've only left this offer open for three hours because, you know, the buyer doesn't want you to shop their offer around, right? And I got to tell you guys, it's the listing agent's job to get the best result for the seller. And as much as we would never disclose or shop around the offer and tell other parties, well, you know, this offer came in at 950, we would never do that. That's classified information. What we will do is say, hey, we have an offer in hand. Do your people want to come to the table, right? And again, just because you're there first doesn't mean you are in pole position and you're going to win the property. There are rules of engagement, very specific rules of engagement when it comes to this. Now, it is your agent who will walk you through this process. Really, this is the, one of the reasons why you have representation, why you have a buyer agent take care of you, because it's a very complicated process. It's not easy going in this on your own, folks. I mean, if you haven't bought or sold in the last five years, 10 years, people only buy every five or seven years on average, whereas an agent goes through this process on a weekly basis, right? So make sure you get the right help to help you out. Uh, as always, if you have any questions or you want to talk about the process or real estate itself or the market, just reach out to me. I'd be happy to chat with you. And if you're a podcast listener, you can always listen to our past episodes on iTunes or Google Play. We need to take our first break for the day today. When we come back, we'll be having a conversation with Rick Rushton down in Melbourne, Australia. I'm dying to hear what he has to say. Back in just a moment. You're listening to The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show. So we are faced right now with another election out there. It's a federal election, of course. And as always, the candidates have platforms. And one of the biggest items of discussion is housing, housing affordability. Aside from the pandemic, which of course we're all dealing with on a global basis, people are very concerned about the price of real estate. And of course, I keep on saying on our program here, Victoria is the third most expensive real estate in the country after Vancouver and Toronto. Let's face it. I mean, many of you who are listening here, you came from other places. You chose to come to Victoria for so many reasons. Is it the weather? Is it the lifestyle? Is it, you know, was it work? Especially now, a lot of people are working remotely. So they're still working out of Toronto, but they're living here in Victoria. But it's caused this explosion in values in these marketplaces. I was having a lunch with a friend of mine today. He was saying that Victoria is the fastest growing suburb of Toronto. And you know what? I agree with him because that's really what's happening right now. So one of the things in particular a prime minister is talking about is abolishing blind bidding. You know, this notion of people putting in sealed offers and not knowing how much higher they might be to the next runner up. And I thought it'd be a great time to have a conversation with somebody who has spent a lot of time in a market area where auctioning is very common. So, of course, you know, when we talk about auction, we have to go a little further away. So right now with us on the line, and this is one of the great things about technology and about Zoom nowadays, 17 hours ahead from where we are right now in Victoria, speaking from another Victoria, the state of Victoria 
in Australia, Melbourne specifically, is Rick Rushton. Uh, Rick is a, with over 30 years of experience in the real estate business, including being a broker owner, and he's a speaker and a trainer. Uh, I'm thrilled to have you. Uh, Rick, thanks for joining us today. Well, my absolute pleasure, Tony. It's so important that we do draw that distinction that we share the same queen, we share the same pronunciation of the word color and even the correct spelling with a U. So I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm with, uh, with family today. So thanks for the opportunity to share what we know down under, up over to you. The, uh, the Commonwealth, of course, right? And, of um, course. Yeah, and, we, and we were connected by a mutual friend who is uh, one of the legendary real estate trainers, uh, David Knox, down in Minneapolis. Uh, I know you're very good friends. You were saying that you were doing some um, uh, training with him just last week, right? Well, when I grow up, I want to be David Knox, Tony, to be brutally honest. Me he's too. Just, that makes two of us. He's a rock star. He's a rock star, let's be honest. But, uh, but again, you know, again, that power of connection and the ability just to sort of put ourselves into the arena with each other is something I don't take lightly off the ground. So thanks for the opportunity. Oh, yeah. Th- and th- thanks for joining us. So let's talk about Australia a little bit because it is distant. I mean, I know that we have expats uh, here in Victoria. A good friend of mine who's uh, another uh, a realtor colleague is, uh, I think he's from Perth, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but tell us about what's going on down there. What, uh, what, is, what happens? What's happening in the Australian real estate market? Well, clearly, like the rest of the world, we've been struggling through this pandemic, but uh, ultimately, we have a population just north of 25 million for a country, which is interesting, the majority of which lives on the eastern seaboard. So, you know, I, I'm coming to you today from Melbourne, which is the second largest city in the country. Uh, but effectively, in Australia at the moment, we just do not build enough houses for the the growth of the population. And so, you know, when supply is low and demand is high in any marketplace, whether that be real estate or anything, there's going to be a premium paid uh, when buyers come into the marketplace. And so for us, historically, auctions have been a very Melbourne-centric thing, a Victorian state-based thing for, for the majority of my time in the business. It's now expanded right across Australia. But for two reasons, Tony, in Victoria, in the late 1980s, if you were to sell your home by private treaty or for sale, the agent had to pay all the selling costs in terms of advertising. Mm-hmm. But if you auctioned, the consumer, the seller paid the advertising. So agents in Victoria, Melbourne, back in the 1980s, really had to ensure that they pushed predominantly auction because the margins for, for commissions were also regulated. It was a double-edged sword. The government said Interesting. that you could not sell a property for more than $1,660 for the first 50000 of the property's value and 2% on the balance. So therefore, if you sold a home for $100,000 in the late 1970s, early 1980s in Melbourne, the agent received $2,660 as a gross fee to the brokerage. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it would be divided up between the agent who listed the property and maybe the agent who sold it. And then I don't want to get into multiple listing, but you get the understanding that the margins were incredibly low if you also had to give up you know, something like five, six, seven hundred dollars of advertising cost in that two, six, sixty gross. So, auctions became probably a necessity for agents to develop the auctioneering skills to make sure that they had a greater financial reward for doing what we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and again, I mean, whenever people talk about auction, it's Australia that comes to mind. It's Australia, New Zealand as well too, right? 
Yeah, so we Melbourne's known as the auction capital of the world for all the reasons I just said. It was yeah. out of necessity. But then what happened was uh, Melbourne started to, doing it so well that it started to spread across each of the states in Australia. It's still predominantly a Melbourne-centric thing. Sydney now has really you know, taken it to a whole new level with the way that they do auctions. New Zealand clearly has followed the, the lead. And in Australia, there's a prestigious award, the Australasian Auctioneering Champion in any given year. And <laughs> so New Zealand, Australia really fight off against that. It's really quite, uh, I'm not well, going to say it's And how, games, does, but... how does one win? Is it, is it the highest uh, above uh, uh, um, secured price or something or what? Uh... So the competition's set under a, you know, a, a bit of a theoretical auction situation. Uh, each state and capital territory around Australia and the, and each province in New Zealand will run their own competitions and then they'll take the winners of that into a, a, a national level. Then from there, they'll go to the Australasian uh, Championship. So you end up with probably eight to ten of the best auctioneers down under in the Southern Hemisphere. And then from there, they're all given the exact same property, Tony, the exact same yeah. reserve. And it's about their skill to how they can sell the property and invite the consumers in and know how to get the bidding to a, to a point. So they're judged on numbers of criteria, none the least being their ability to manage the process, which I guess is what we really want to go through today, the process of actually buying and selling at auction from a consumer standpoint and why we think, certainly in Melbourne, it's the most clear and transparent form of selling that is consumer-centric because of the manner in which it's done. You see who your opponents are. It's in real time. Yep. And you make a decision based on a lot more information than you could otherwise not get if you weren't going through the auction process. Okay. Well, you know what? We're, we're going to dig deeper into the auction process after uh, after our break here, our next break here. Um, I, I, I want to just kind of dial back a little bit and just talk about uh, Australia and, and who is buying? Because I know the, the uh, uh, Sydney, for instance, unless unless it's, it's throughout the country, there have been things like foreign buyer uh, um, uh, taxes or, or not allowed to purchase resale homes, things, things like that. These have existed for some time, right? Correct. And, you know, Australia has gone from being very much a, a member of the Commonwealth, settled by the British, clearly. But in the 1980s, we were really shifted politically and, dare I say, economically to rely more uh, on the Asian marketplace mm -hmm. and so we have an incredibly high expat asian marketplace uh, our universities are have the spotlight on it from families that may be based in hong kong sending their children singapore sending their children china sending their children uh, those children tend to get their degrees in australia and stay mm -hmm. so we have a very strong multicultural background uh, across anglo-saxon uh, you know, Italian, Greeks, I mean, Melbourne, my, my hometown has the biggest Greek population outside of Athens. Oh, really? So it's a very multicultural yeah. uh, scenario. Uh, so the Asian marketplace, uh, if I can call it that, has really fueled the values in, in, in Australian price property. So you, you, you're seeing that buyer not so active at the moment because, of course, there's travel restrictions, Foreign, right? Yeah. So you know, people can't sort of come on in. But the government prior to the pandemic made some philosophical shifts, meaning that under the Foreign Investment Review Board, you needed that permission to actually bid at an auction. And it was to make sure that properties weren't being purchased by foreign uh, citizens and just holding it until their children used it through a, a university degree 
to then sort of just keep it as an asset. It was sort of restricting our ability for, you know, current residents of Australia to buy and sell. And well, well, clearly... Listen, yeah, Rick, he, this is a really important point that I want to dig a little deeper into, but it's time for our, our break here. Perfect. Uh, yeah, having a conversation about um, real estate in Australia. And we'll get to uh, bidding when we come back uh, from our break here. Back in just a moment. Now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our show comes to you every week with the support of our show partners, Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Center's Modern Mortgage Group, J.P. Sellers, insurance advisor at Westland Insurance, the Sitka Law Group for your real estate, wills and estates, corporate and personal injury needs, and Silhouette Home Inspections with Pierre Bove. If you need help or direction in your real estate transaction, give any of the whole home show team members a call. They would love to hear from you. And as a reminder, if you're a podcast listener, we do podcast all of our four years and 215 or so uh, episodes on iTunes or Google Play. Tons of great uh, information and resources, depending on where you're at in your uh, real estate buying, selling, or just maintaining your home cycle. Uh, there's so much here for you. And uh, we are so thrilled that you come back and listen to us every week. So we're having a conversation today. Uh, you know, I often have guests from other parts of the country, often from the States, just talking about how real estate markets are doing. But today's a little different because we're having a conversation 17 hours ahead of us in Australia having a chat about what's going on there. And we're going to get to the conversation about auctions, which we will in a little bit. My guest today is Rick Rushton, a 30-year veteran in the real estate business in Melbourne, Australia, and the state of Victoria. Again, Rick, thanks for joining us. My absolute pleasure. Yeah, so just before the break, we were chatting about foreign uh, buyers because, of course, this is something that we have. Here, there's five regions in British Columbia. It's Vancouver, Lower Mainland, Kelowna, Nanaimo, and Victoria that all have a foreign buyer tax. We also have a speculation and vacancy tax because the intent was if uh, non-Canadians are buying properties and holding them, they should be released into at least the rental market uh, you know, for, for use of, of locals. These are things that came in uh, pre-pandemic, just like you mentioned. So you were saying that the the Australian government right uh, implemented these yeah. things, um, and it was before. I think it was before us, right? Oh, I think ago. that's right. Yeah, we, we've 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 had a view around that for some time because there was a, a developing trend, Tony, and clearly, you know, local members of parliament were putting pressure on the federal government to you know maybe come up with some uh, specific rules, and that's pretty much how it's it's gone from there. So it's to limit, dare I say, foreign investment that restricts the buying, selling, leasing, renting of property, which was starting to find a bit of a, you know, there was a bit of a damn wall there where a lot of properties were being bought, held, maintained within the family from foreign investors who had no intentions of leasing it back out to, you know, renters in the current marketplace. That was always uh, a position where they wanted to hold it partly as an investment, but more importantly for the use of, as I say, the number one use there was, educating children in the Australian universities, which are so revered by specifically the Asian sort of buyer coming from Southeast Asia into Australia. And so mm -hmm. the, the, the rules tightened and as the rules tightened, that made it you know, more challenging for that to happen. Having said that though, we've now come into probably the children of Asian immigrants 
you know, coming into the marketplace with you know, support from their family, they tend to buy totally differently than the garden variety Australian real estate purchaser. I mean, an Asian buyer tends to buy for the generation back behind them. So they've got, you know, two, three generations supporting them, potentially paying their deposit, potentially financing them to a degree where they don't need to borrow as much. And so it would be not uncommon to uh, have auctions transferring across from uh, not just English from, from our natural and native language, but to also have some sort of Mandarin Cantonese sort of uh, translation happening at the same time as well. So it's really quite interesting how much we had to pivot. Yeah. I hate that word. It's a really big word at the moment is a pivot, but we had to pivot the way we were doing auctions to cater for that. But I wouldn't say that there's an equilibrium in the marketplace now. What I would say is that there's more charts for you know, the current resident of, of any town to have a, have a, at least a level playing field, Tony, to, to try and purchase against well, effectively foreign, invested, foreign investors. Now, of course, values have continued to go up. So, and, you know, what you alluded to a little earlier, which is what we're dealing with here right now as well, is since the pandemic has been going on, the borders are closed, we actually are, are the actual foreign uh, um, instances of foreign buyers uh, purchasing properties has gone to very, very little. And yet property values continue to go up. So, you know, uh, is it is it really a solution? Because it's really done nothing for affordability, right? Oh, 100%. But I think what it has done is that it's created an opportunity for people that are maybe homeschooling over this last year and a bit of lockdowns, working from home, realizing that their problems are growing as their family is. So they need to probably sell a home that doesn't serve their needs and maybe upscale. And what they're doing is they're, they're not making the next logical step up property ladder. They're probably jumping two rungs ahead and going for the home that they thought they might be able to afford maybe 10 years from now. So we've got a perfect storm at the moment of less competition from foreign investors and foreign buyers. We've got the lowest interest rates ever of all time. The Reserve Bank of Australia just in the last 24 hours has kept the current rate on hold. Mm -hmm. It is uh, very much the case that if you have a mortgage loan with a three starting in front of your interest payments, you, you would be refinancing straight away. You can get something in the high 1.8 to 1.9. So about the, the same here. Range. About the same. Yeah. And so what you're seeing is you're seeing a lot of uh, purchases that are moving around the property marketplace that probably would have been more conservative with their purchasing power prior to the lower rates, prior to this lessening competition. But still my statement from the beginning still stands, we don't build enough homes in Australia to meet the demand. So there's always going to be that supply demand uh, challenge, uh, specifically in states like New South Wales, which is where Sydney is based. And Sydney is a, a 180 degree marketplace because you've got the harbour and then the ocean. And every development has to happen sort of, you know, I guess, northwest and south of the compass, but you can't go east because of the coastline. Yeah. And Victoria is very much a garden state. So people like the Australian dream of a quarter acre block and they love the fact that you've got garden and, and space. And in fact, you know, our marketplaces for residential real estate have never been hotter. Uh, our challenge is selling inner city apartments and, and that type of living, which doesn't seem to have the same sort of demand. So I think you're just seeing uh, an adjustment in the factors of why people are buying and selling. And none the least being that you know, families are just saying, you know, we want the, the best lifestyle possible. And goodness knows, if we have to go into a lockdown scenario, 
where we're only allowed out to exercise or walk around our properties, why wouldn't we want to have a bit more space? So what you're seeing is the forces leading up to try and keep prices at a stable level so that people aren't being priced out of the market hasn't really worked because you know ultimately what's happened is the local marketplace has just shifted up another gear. Yeah. Uh, so what you are seeing though, interestingly, and it'll be uh, something we could check back in on in the next year or two to see if it's actually flowed across to you guys in Canada. But what we are seeing is a lot of people moving out of the metro cities of Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, Adelaide. These are all capital cities of our states. And they're actually moving to regional towns. If there's good Wi-Fi or NBN, as we call it here, yeah, most people are now working three, four, five days from home anyway. So they will lose maybe that metro postcode, but they're happy to go to a regional uh, city, which has still got a lot of good facilities. It's probably an hour and a half, maybe two hours out of a major metropolitan city, but they've got a much better lifestyle. They have much greater buying power they're actually still able to keep their jobs because a lot of it's done remotely. And so we're seeing a big increase in regional sales as well. A property that might've been selling for two or $300,000 this time to two and a half years ago is now more than doubled. They're selling for high falls around the five. So that's just from Melbourne buyers, sight unseen, they just want to get out to the marketplace of that regional area where they feel like there's less restrictions and they feel like they can actually lead a better lifestyle. So it'll be interesting to see if that flows across to where actually it's, you guys it's, are. It's exactly the same because in Toronto, people are moving in the outlying areas or they're coming way over here, 3,000 kilometers across, right? Um, I, so I, I love the fact that you brought this up because our listeners need to know, this is not a Canada, lower mainland, Vancouver Island only situation. I mean, we're talking Australia here. You guys have the same, this is the same issue that we're seeing is people are moving outwards and, and that all contributes to what we're doing uh, real estate wise in the marketplace. So we need to take our last break for the day. And I promise folks, I will be getting to auctions and that's what we're going to spend our uh, last uh, segment on just a moment. We're having a conversation with Rick Rushton down in Melbourne, Australia about, uh, you know, the differences in real estate practices, processes, and all these things between here, our little town in Victoria, British Columbia and Melbourne, the state of Victoria. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. We're having a conversation today with Rick Rushton. He is a seasoned, a long-time uh, real estate expert, over 30 years experience in Melbourne, Australia. And, of course, the reason why we're having this conversation is because of bidding and auctions because as everyone here knows and if you're listening maybe you've been stuck in this position recently you find a house that you like you want to make an offer it's not like you go to the store and just you know pay the price that's on the price tag you've often got to go and fight for the property there are two five ten there was one last week we we're dealing with 14 offers on the property of course you submit your number you don't know if you're going to get the house or not it always just goes to the highest bidder. It's what uh, the prime minister is calling blind bidding. Uh, it's not really true. It's what is probably better known as closed bidding as opposed to open bidding. And of course, people are crying foul because they don't know if they're paying 5000 more than the next highest bidder or if they're paying 100000 more than the next highest bidder. And if it's hundred or $200,000 more, then it makes you wonder about, hey, are prices uh, going way out of control? So, Rick, 
I want to just start just by parsing out what it looks like in Australia. So um, you said to me earlier, very rarely are properties not sold under auction, right? Correct. Yeah. The clearance rates are phenomenal. And it's really partly due to the fact that the supply is again low, as we've been talking about all the way through this interview, and demand is still quite high. But I think the, the most important reason why uh, the, the clearance rates are so high, Tony, is because buyers and sellers are both educated to the auction process. So buyers have an understanding about where a property should sit nowadays. I mean, if you think back to when we first put, got into the business, both buyers and sellers needed us to give them the education around what pricing is doing. Nowadays, a consumer can get it at the speed of click, right? They're, they're, they're checking out median prices, they're understanding averages, they probably know the comparables pretty well. So they do compare you know, properties to what they know is selling and what they know that they're, they're interested in to, to set some sort of a level. So the reason why auctions go quite well is because of the fact that the vendors, or we call them vendors, you call them sellers, sellers. Our, yeah. our vendors down under, understand that if they if they take their property to the marketplace, they do a four-week campaign. That's really typically what it is. The property lists live tonight, mm-hmm. and then it's going to be sold in four Saturdays' time. In the meantime, between that, most agencies down under, Tony, will run open for inspection. So buyers get a chance to come and inspect the property, typically twice a week, a midweek open and then a, a Saturday open as well, which are the two main days. So Wednesday, Thursday, either one, Saturday. These opens will run for about a half an hour and buyers will come through en masse. From there, if someone really likes it and wants to come back and have a quieter look, the agent will book a private inspection. And then the buyer will stop and prop and say, hey, can we make an offer on this property? Now, depending on the instructions from our seller, it's more than likely that the agent will say, well, no, it's not for sale, it's for auction. So if you can come back in three weeks' time, at this time on a Saturday, have your hand up, the first question that gets asked from the buyer is, well, how much do you think the owner will take? Well, it's not so much what the owner will take, it's how much other bidders want to buy. We've got very strong interest at the moment in this property mm-hmm. above 800000 Is that in your budget? Yeah, it is. Great. And what would you do if the bidding got to eight fifty? Oh, no, we'd still be there. And what if it reached nine hundred? dollars oh, if it goes that, that we're out, fantastic. Well, at least we know. We'll, 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 we'll pass that feedback on to the owner. And so the owners start with a hope on a price, Tony, but they normally set the reserve, what's called a reserve price. Mm-hmm. They set that reserve price the day of or just leading up the day or two before the auction. So, And they take all the information that's been learned over the previous three and a bit weeks of buyer inspections. They listen to the feedback. And that's why they can set a reserve that's very, what we would call down under, very realistic. They know that if, if bidding hits that level with multiple buyers, they've got a realistic price point. So where we have the opportunity to get some amazing results uh, in Australia is the reserves are normally set at a level where we know we've got multiple buyers. So the property is then called on the market. So as the auctioneer, I'm going to say, okay, at this point in time, if I receive no better bid, you three over here have the brochure, but this gentleman here has the keys because he has the highest bid and we are on the market, we are selling. From what happens after that, Tony, is where the real strength of the auction system comes from both the seller and the buyer. The seller sees that there's competition for their home, so they know under competition, they're getting the very best price. There's no way that they can deny they're getting the very best price. But for the buyer, they actually also get to see who their competitors are and how far above this number everyone's going. So it's very clear, it's very transparent, and the amount of times that people have gone, 
over their predetermined limits because they get caught up in the emotion of, oh my gosh, we don't want to miss this property. We've already placed our furniture in here. Our kids love this location. It's so important for us for schooling and school. They will stretch and stretch and stretch potentially. Not saying that that emotion is not there with that closed offer type sort of, you know, sealed envelopes, uh, best and final type set up that you, your government's saying is, you know, creating results where you might have a gap of one, two, three hundred thousand yeah. dollars. Yeah, that's 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 extreme. We get that. But what we do realize is that no buyer ever leaves with five thousand dollars in their pocket if the property they've come to buy is about to be sold under the hammer. So I think there's some strengths for the seller, but there's definitely some clear transparency for the buyers as well to know that they can take it as read. What they're seeing is real. You know, once it's called on the market, that's it. It's going to be sold. So I think there's some benefits there from that standpoint. All right. So, so question now, when people are there at the, the Saturday during the, the, the auction itself, presumably they would have done their due diligence before. So would they have, you know, made sure their financing was in place and maybe had a chance to get somebody to go through the property to make sure everything was fine. So when they're making, when they're making the bid and if they win, that's it, right? Like it's sold, that's unconditional. There's no way out, right? Absolutely. It's, it's, there's no cooling off period. They've got to have a 10% deposit. They've got to be able to go on the day ready to, to, um, you know, commit to a contract. Then you're absolutely correct. In the lead up, that three, four weeks lead up period, the building inspections are done. What a lot of sellers are doing down under at the moment, Tony, they're getting a pre-selling yeah. uh, building inspection where it's sort of making, it, making it available. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. just say, look, we've, we've done it. Here it is. It's reputable. You can, yeah. you know, some people still want to have their own and that's yeah. fair enough and that's all fine. So building and pest and, and that's where there's, if there's any, I guess, pushback from a consumer standpoint, it's the fact that people do spend a bit of money on these pre building inspections and they might not get it exactly so they've put their hand in their pocket they've probably spent maybe two thousand dollars getting a a building inspection maybe a lawyer to check out the paperwork making sure everything's you know as it should be and and in good order and and then they don't get it i guess the other thing that you do hear a little bit about is under quoting where the agent knows the property is going to sell north of a million dollars but you know the the quote says we expect this to sell from eight hundred thousand on uh, that, that that's to try and get everybody in. Uh, some buyers that might have a budget limited to nine hundred thousand are going to go through a building inspection, the cost that we just talked about earlier, and then not really have any real viable chance of getting it. So there is some challenges there, and that's a, an area now. But having said that, again, the regulators have changed that now. If, what you quote, it probably has to be the reserve has to be set at that level that you're actually quoting. And so if there's really strong interest and in any offers leading up to the actual auction date you need to adjust the quote accordingly so for argument's sake if we're quoting 800 plus as an example we suspect that it's going to go beyond 800 and we get an offer of 900,000 well the agent can no longer keep quoting it at 800 because the buyer has shown intimate oh. you know, belief that they're going to buy at 900 so the 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 quote will need to be raised to an interesting degree. so interesting. so there is that standpoint but in fairness transparency there is no other system in real estate in my 31 years of doing it where it's as clear, open, and transparent on the day. We do a lot of on-site auctions. You know, we were talking a little bit earlier off air about how you know, Australia and New Zealand do it a little bit differently to other, other countries, but there is, even within Australia and New Zealand, there are some companies that do in-room auctions where they bring you know, their buyers into a, an event space and they'll have multiple auctions. They might do 10, 12, one after the other. Like an uh, auction where, house, yeah. Like yeah. an auction house, yeah. But in Australia, specifically Melbourne, it's very much on-site. 
people love to attend an auction. It's a bit of a theatrical sort of performance from the auctioneer. And it's a buzz, I've got to tell you. It's a, it's a real, if you get it, it's amazing. If you miss it, it's really frustrating. But yeah, it does prepare you for the next time around. The best bidders we find at the auctions every Saturday. Time they've lost the a few. Out. Yeah, yeah, they've lost yeah. a few. Same, that's true right across the board. The same thing here. So so two two things, an observation and a, and a question. So, and I know people will be asking this because I've been asked this as well too. Like I, I charity auctioneer for charity events quite often. In fact, I'm doing one on Saturday, the day that this episode will air. Um, and it's always funny because, you know, I, I observe two people when their egos get in the way and all of a sudden the values go out the window. It's like, I don't care if I'm paying too much because I have to make a point, right? This I'm sure happens in the real estate world in Australia, right? 100% and it's the battler and I'll, I'll as an auctioneer I'll, t I'll sometimes make it a bit of a, a game or I'll say you know I'll be very vigorous to the male who's taking the strong position in front of the crowd and throwing his hand up as if to say any any number I'm going to outbid you yeah. and then if there's a nice sweet couple in the corner I'll say I think the crowd wants you just, <laughs> just yeah, the crowd <laughs> wants you come back one more time what do you know that could be his best you never know and then it's kind of pitching to each of the dominant uh, types of buyers that are out there but yeah it's got a lot fairer too because again there's rules and regulations about how you conduct yourself at an auction from every stakeholder from us as agents from participants everyone has to uh, participate in a way where you can't prohibit other people from bidding so it's pretty it's pretty transparent and clear and we could okay. probably cover that in a follow-up interview so, but not now so that was the first thing the second one is and i was i've been asked this a couple times recently Who's to say that there aren't plants in that auction, people who are just there to drive the, the price up? Okay, so that's a great question. And in the bad old days of auction, that's exactly what happened, where the auctioneer would just run. They, they would see bidding from everything, from telegraph poles, from someone walking past with a dog. They'd just be what we would call dummy bidding, D-U-M-M-Y, dummy bidding. They'd just yeah. be making it up. Now the rules are very clear. Uh, as a consumer going to an auction, you have the right to ask me as the auctioneer, can you point out who I'm bidding against? And I would need to point to the actual bidders. Okay. Uh, we're able to still use what's called a vendor bid, which is the vendor's counter offer back to you. So if it's just me and you, you're starting the auction and no one else is coming in, I can vendor bid. So let's say the, the reserve is a million dollars. I can take a vendor bid. Uh, if you kick it off at 800, I could take a vendor bid at 820. Are you back at 840? And you and I might go all the way through to about 900 and something, but I won't take a vendor bid above the reserve price. And certainly once it's called on the market, you don't take a vendor bid. But a vendor bid is a counter offer back to the marketplace to say that your bidding level is not at an acceptable price to the owner, so they're not going to sell. That's the first thing you need to know. Mm -hmm. Number two, you do want to keep on bidding though, because if we don't get the reserve, we don't meet it, we'll be passing the property into you as the highest bidder. That gives you pole position you come inside you meet the owner you may be finishing your bidding at 920 they're at a million dollars we may negotiate something sort of closer to nine fridge the thereabouts. Yeah. yeah and then so therefore you're in a strong so you're bidding for two rights the right to get the property sold to you under the hammer knocked down once twice three times sold or you've got the right to come in and negotiate one-on-one -on -one with the with the vendors and that's that, that we don't see that too much in this day and age most properties do just hit the reserve and they fly if the reserve is 800 oh. it's probably going to go close to a million if it's a oh. million dollars it'll go one two one three it's it's kind of crazy
you know what? I would love to, to delve deeper into this. I mean, this has been a great uh, learning experience for me, and I'm sure for most of our listeners about how things are done. You know, just getting back to this whole uh, bidding process as, as we wrap up our episode today, you know, I got to remind everyone, this whole multiple offers bidding situation, although it's common in Australia, I can tell you in 30 years I've been selling real estate, this is a real rarity. Like most of the time, it's just make your offer and you maybe negotiate for the house. You know, there have been maybe three or four points of time in my 30 years that we've bumped into bidding wars and, and auctions. So on one hand, you know, um, the politicians are using this as a, a discussion point and it's something that, you know, will it stay? Who knows? Uh, Rick, thank you for joining us all the way from Melbourne, Australia. It's been great having you here. Thank you so much, Tony. I had a, I had a ball and uh, here's to the best wishes for everyone to stay safe and healthy and as productive as we can be in these challenging times. Can't wait to get to Canada one day. You must. And to the rest of your li our listeners, I'll be here for you this time next week.